Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a journey. As we go back to the great civilizations of the past, who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on the 650s BC, part two. Whoa! Let's do this. Yes, hello again, Dan. (laughs) And I'm Bernie. We are the fans of history. Yes, we are. Uh, I (laughs) want to remind you, listeners, about our Patreon, because we are considering coming out every other week. I asked you the question, Bernie, but uh, at this time of this recording, you have not replied. (laughs) I would love to see this podcast come out every other week, but... That will be a lot of work, so please encourage us by becoming patrons at patreon.com. Search for Fan of History. Thank you. Yes. So, yeah, sorry, I thought I did reply, but yes, yeah, so I think we can do it. As long as I keep, you know, uh, doing the research quick and we get them edited, I think we can do it. All right, let's do it. What about yeah. uh, 657 BC? Yeah. So in 657. Um, Cypselus, he becomes the first tyrant of Corinth. And uh, I was working on this just before we started recording, and this turned out to be a really cool story. And um, I originally learned about this from our friend Ryan Stitt's podcast, The History of Ancient Greece. And that came from episode 16, The Age of Tyranny. Um, We could post that on the episode notes. So I I re-listened to that a few times, and I used it for the research, and that and also Herodotus. So um, I'll go through this story for you guys. Shout Um, out to Ryan for a great podcast, The History of Ancient Greece. Yeah. I do use it for 
for reference for things. And he's very, uh, he does, it's a very informative podcast. And Ryan's a good guy too. He's the kind of guy who gets, you know, he communicates with you and stuff. I really like that guy. He's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the historians, they place the age of tyranny in Greece from 675 to 510 BC. Um, So we remember the first time we heard the word tyrant comes from the poet Achillicus. And that was in reference to my friend Gyges. We talked the about the original that. tyrant. He was the original tyrant. <laughs> oh boy! I was a tyrant before it was cool. He was. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, here's the story of, of of this other tyrant, Cypselus. So, at the time in Corinth, they had a ruling family called the Bacchiati, and they were. They had kings before, but this was the ruling family. So every, they intermarried, and you had to be part of the Bacchiati to be part of the ruling class. Yeah. And this next next part's a little the mythical part. So there was a Bacchiati named Amphion, and he had a, a lame daughter named Labda. I mean, I mean, so none of the Bacchiati would marry her because we know Greeks just they always have something against people who are lame. So, so she was married to a man named Edion who was an outsider from the township of Petra. So it's not like real far away, but it's not, you know, Corinth proper in that city. It's Petra, Greece, and not uh, Petra in uh, the Jordan. Yeah, no, it's right there. It's just, you know, it's just sort of like a suburb. Yeah. So it turns out there was an old oracle and a new oracle. This is why they had to put them together after this all happened. That said that a child of Edion would be the end to the Bacchiati. So when a son was born of this, you know, this new marriage, the Bacchiati sent 10 men out to kill the baby. Oh, no. Yeah. So then there was a big star and three wise men. And wait, wait no, no, that's a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is familiar. This sounds familiar, right? And I put the baby in a basket. Nope, that's a different story. All right. Sorry. So anyway, these guys, they go to the home of Labda. And they ask to see the child. And she doesn't know anything about this plan. So she just comes out and says, oh, sure, here's one. Look at the baby. Hands it to the, one of the guys. And the plan was that the first guy to get the baby should immediately throw it to the ground and kill it. How would you like that for a job? So the, the guy gets the infant and the baby smiles at him. So he gets cold feet. And, he's just, oh, oh, and he hands, oh, cute baby. And he hands it to the next guy. And then the baby smiles at the next guy, and he passes him on. So this happens to all ten guys. They all, like, see this cute baby, and he smiles at them, so they can't do it. So they give the baby back to the mother, and she goes back inside. And then, there's you know, they start talking and arguing with each other outside the door, saying what a bunch of babies they are, wimps and stuff like that. So they said, all right, let's get the baby back, and we're going to do it. So, but the mom heard them talking because she was close to the door. So she quick hid the child in a chest. And um, so when um, they came back to the door, so yeah, so sorry, she was hidden in the chest. The baby was hidden in the chest. So they just uh, couldn't find him. So they just went home and said, all right, let's just say that we did it. Again, like Moses, right? Oh, yeah, we took care of him. And then he went down in a basket. So after that, uh, 
the child was called Sipsilus after that chest. I'm not sure if Sipsilus means chest or if Sipsilus is the type of chest, but that's why his name is Sipsilus because he was right. in. A- so if someone knows ancient Greece, let us know. Yeah. So obviously Sipsilus was charming, right? Because even as a baby, he was charming these guys that were going to kill him. He's a good politician. Yeah. When uh, so when Sipsilus grew up, he fulfilled the policy and he overthrew the Bacchiade. So at the time, Corinth was involved in wars with Argos and Corsera, and the Corinthians were unhappy with the rulers. And if you remember, back in 664, we knew there was a naval battle between Corinth and Corsera. Yeah. So there was. Oh, sorry, Dan. Yes. Yeah. So there was, you know, they were unhappy. There was cities, cities growing, and this as this was the age of tyrants and. Um, we do remember Phidon was involved in something in Corinth around this time, too, and Phidon was a tyrant. So kind of like today when you have a guy like Mr. Trump, you know, and other people sort of copy him. Tyranny is on the rise. Yeah. So at this time, 657, Sipsilus, he was the polymarch, which is the archon in charge of the military. So he used his influence with the army and the navy to expel the Bacchiati. And they say he also expelled his other enemies, but he did allow them to set up colonies in northwestern Greece. There was and space he, in northwestern Greece? Yeah, we have a colony northwestern. No, that's east. Yeah, <laughs> we have a colony kind of Thrace and coming up in the 650s. Oh. I, I think the world was pretty thinly populated. There's probably some spots that go everywhere. But I mean that they, they were sort of overpopulated in the 9th century BC and went to all over the Mediterranean, but they didn't want to go to northwest Greece. What does that say about northwestern Greece? They rather Indeed, go to Marseille or, or Italy. Maybe that was, that was like sending them to Alaska. Yeah, maybe it was. Like, okay, you wanna, you, here's your choice. You die or go to this place in northwestern Greece. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Um, they actually did. He, he increases the trade in the colonies in it, Italy and Sicily, but you know maybe they maybe they said they're going to northwestern Greece, but then they really went to Italy because this is cool. There's um, a guy named Demaratus. He was one of the exiled Bacchiati. He fled to Italy and he settled in the, Etrus- the Etruscan city of Tarquini. And he, there he introduced a lot of aspects of Greek culture to central Italy. And his son, Lucius, would move to Rome and become king. Start talking the great. Yeah. Well, this seems like an uh, after construction. But we will bring in Rome with him at the wheel in 616 mm-hmm. BC. And so see how it's all connected? It just... Everything just one to little stories that sort of connect. I think that Greek influence on the Etruscans started much earlier than this. Mm. I'm sure there was a lot of trading going on back and forth. Maybe this guy moving there and just maybe that you know. He became the he became the poster boy for Greek influence yeah. on the Etruscans. Right. And when they say they move, I think we have to realize today when somebody like. Like Demardis moved to Central Greece. It wasn't like like a, him and his him and his wife moved there. I, I think it's sort of like the story of Abraham in the Bible. You know, they had a lot of people moved. It's sort of a you know a leader of a whole bunch of people has a lot of servants, slaves, friends. You know, sort of like a whole community moved there. Yeah. 
Not just like one guy putting a statue in front of his house. Oh, I like that guy's statue. Sort of like a whole community. Hmm. And how they act. And I mean, Greek culture is definitely attractive. So no. this is the origin of the Tarquins. That's yeah. Interesting. Right? I thought so. Huh. That's super. Did not expect that. I know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Time for some sports. Yeah, let's go on to sports. 6.56 is the 30... First Olympics. You want to talk about it? Or you want me to talk about it? Talk about it. I will. Shionis of Sparta. We talk, I mentioned him the last um, in the 660s because he won back then. So he again wins the Dialos and the Stadium. And I, I think Chionis of Sparta is a cool name, right? Like Chionis of Sparta. A lot better than Bernie of Scranton. But if Bernie of Scranton won the Olympics twice. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a cool name. If, I guess if I did, yes, yes. yes Dan so, yeah. Stockholm, that's not so cool. And not too bad. Dan of Stockholm. Wasn't there one Scott of the Dead, Dan of the Dead, that movie? <laughs> there was. So this this Cleonis was winning running. He was long jumping and triple jumping. Yep. Wow. He was... He, in 656, he broke the long jump record with a jump of 7 meters and 5 centimeters, which is a little over 23 feet. And that would have won him the event in the first modern Olympics in 1896 with that wow. jump. And he would have still been in the top eight all the way through the 1952 Olympics in Helsinki. Whoa. Yeah, so this guy was quite an athlete. And this is before performance-enhancing drugs. Right, his triple jump record was fifteen point eight five meters, which is about fifty two feet. Wow! So here's the the big record though is that he won the Dialos and the Stadion three years in a row. So he had a three peat six sixty four, six sixty, and six fifty six. He was on top of his game for a decade. Yeah. Right. 
Oh my God, it just reminds me. I had, we went back to boxing. We we're just boxing outside, you know, mostly doing conditioning. And two days ago, we did sprints. So, 52 year old guy racing against a 13 year old kid and actually beat him five times. <laughs> but I am in agony. <laughs> you, you won't manage that in three years. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to. Wait, three years? You think at 55, I'm not going to be able to run anymore? Is that a challenge? I think he will improve. Oh, the kid will improve. Yes, he sure will. Ah, <laughs> correct. Um, so yeah. So, but how about cool? How cool is it though? His this record was not matched again until 480 by Astelos of Syracuse, and this Astelos guy he also won something called the Hapulata Dromos, which was a race done in armor. What? Yeah. That sounds like uh, something you wouldn't want to do. No. We we had a guy, um, we had a half marathon last year, and uh, we had a fireman run the whole 13 miles in his suit. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, wow. that was really hot. He was really hard to do. I bet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so imagine. So this record... So he held this record from, and he nobody really beat it because he he just tied it. Nobody really beat it, did it four times in a row. So he held the record for 176 years in the biggest sporting event of the time. That's amazing, being the best right? athlete for two centuries. <laughs> right, crazy. Kionis right. of Sparta, we salute you. We seriously, we do. I mean, that's I might get a poster of him. I imagine I don't think that that's not going to happen today. That record stands for 176 years. 176 years. Could you imagine? That'll be a record from 1844. Right. That's how amazing that would be. <laughs> well, you know what? In a, here's a similar thing, sort of. In American football, the Miami Dolphins went undefeated in the 1970 season, and it's not been repeated. So that's 50 years. That's a long time. Yeah, that is. It's kind of like that, you know? Like, that's how big of a record this was. It was just... I mean, you figured this guy was on people's name... Name was on people's lips for 176 years. Uh, remember when Kaunas of Sparta ruled <laughs> all the sporting events. Right. Wow. Okay, let's go to Egypt. Yes. And Semedicus, who mm -hmm. is taking control over all of Egypt. He reunified Egypt. In his ninth regional year, when he dispatched a powerful naval fleet in March 656 BC to Thebes and uh, compelled the existing god's wife of Amun at Thebes to uh, adopt his daughter Nitocris I as her heiress. The god's wife of Amun was Shepinupep II. She was a daughter of Pi. Semedicus' victory. Uh, they even put up uh, a stele for this adoption so that uh, Pi's family could not get out of it and that mm. Semedicus' dynasty would rule Thebes. Semedicus' victory destroyed the last remnants of the Nubian 25th dynasty's control over Upper Egypt under Tantami since um, Thebes now accepted his authority. This uh, daughter of... Uh, was she his daughter? Yeah. This daughter of Samaricus, Nitocris, would hold this office 
for 70 years. <laughs> <laughs> How old was she when she started? Must have been uh, not much, you know, not very old. Oh, she was the god's wife of a moon between 656 BC until her death in 585 BC. Well, I mean, she's five years old, ten years old. How old could she be? Wow. The adoption stele was unearthed in 1897 by George Legrain at Karnak and moved to the Cairo Museum. It is made from red granite and measures roughly six feet in height and four and a half feet in width. The beginning of the inscription is lost but the remainder continues with an inscription relating that Semedicus is reporting to the court his intention to give his daughter to a moon to be the god's wife. Semedicus acknowledged that the current god's wife, Shepenupep II, daughter of Pharaoh Pai of the 25th dynasty, already had an heir in Taharka's daughter, Amenirdis II, who was officiating as divine adoratrice of a moon. That was the heir of the god's wife was the divine adoratrice. Okay. Semedicus intended to compel Shepenupe to adopt Nitocris as her heir, thus replacing Amenirdis II in the succession. The court thought this was great, and in his ninth regional year, first month of the first season, day 28, which comes out to March 2nd, 656 BC, Nitocris departed from size to Thebes, on a royal flotilla, led by the admiral and nomarch of Heracleopolis Magna, whose name was... <laughs> Hang on, I can do this. The name of the admiral and nomarch of Heracleopolis Magna was... Sematavitefnacht. <laughs> <laughs> or, as we call him, Semi. Oh, good. <laughs> After 16 days, the flotilla reached Thebes, whose population acclaimed the arrival of the princess. Both Shepenupep II and Amenirdis II met Nitocris. She was adopted formally, and both agreed to convey their properties to her, and indirectly then to Semedicus. Then the Staler reports a very detailed list with all the daily donations, mainly food, to Nitocris from several officials. So from this guy, you get a couple of hamburgers. And from this guy, you get a pizza. <laughs> Nitocris is like, oh, I'm going to get so fat. <laughs> yeah, so that's it for um, the Nubians. For That's the final nail in their coffin, right? They have been hanging on for a long time. Yeah. Just to uh, make Egypt great again. Yes. And it's interesting to see how Semedicus comes out on top here, just uh, betting on the right horse. Yeah. And then he has both uh, the help of Ashurbanipal and uh, of uh, Gaius. Yeah. That's yeah. well played. Yeah, you have to say, yeah, Semedicus was probably, was it really, he, he, you know, it could have went a lot of other ways. He probably, well played is the way to put it. He probably played all his cards correctly. It's like at the start of the conflict, you had the Assyrians and the Nubians, and, but the winner is Semedicus. Like, yeah, I mean, and his father was taken to Nineveh. So he's got good genes. I mean, he get taken to Nineveh and got back. Yeah, this uh, dynasty is promising. Yeah, for sure. He was very into the Greeks. Um, he was a, like a Greekophile, you know, and I think that was helpful for them too. He, was, he seemed to be intellectual. We have this experiment of Semiticus, 
and it's it's this is discussed in psychology things today. It's kind of a cool little story. Um, we don't know when it took place, but it definitely took place during the rule of Semiticus. Yep. And I could tell you the story. It comes from Herodotus. Please want to hear it? Yes. All right, here we go. The experiment of Semiticus. This is from Herodotus. Now, the Egyptians, before the reign of their king Semiticus, believed themselves to be the most ancient of mankind. Since Semiticus, however, made an attempt to discover who were actually the primitive race, they have been of the opinion that while they surpass all other nations, the Phrygians surpassed them in antiquity. This king, finding it impossible to make out by dint of inquiry what men were the most ancient, contrived the following method of discovery. He took two children of the common sort and gave them over to a herdsman to bring up at his folds, strictly charging him to let no one utter a word in their presence, but to keep them in a sequestered cottage, see that they got their fill of milk, and in all other respects look after them. His object therein was to know, after the indistinct babblings of infancy were over, what word they would first articulate. The herdsman obeyed his orders for two years, and at the end of that time, on his one day opening the door of their room and going in, the children both ran up to him with outstretched arms and distinctly said, Beckos. When this first happened, the herdsman took no notice, but afterwards, when he observed, on coming often to see after them, that the word was constantly in their mouths, he informed his lord, and by his command brought the children into his presence. Semiticus then himself heard them say the word, upon which he proceeded to make inquiry what people there was who called anything Beckos. And hereupon he learnt that Beckos was the Phrygian name for bread. In consideration of this circumstance, the Egyptians yielded their claims and admitted the greater antiquity of the Phrygians. Wow. <laughs> that is so stupid. Right? <laughs> That's how people did it. Yeah, but the Phrygians were not that ancient at all. No, I mean, it does no, make no. me think, why did they think they were ancient? Like, you know, like Catahoyuk and all those old, old and Godabli Tepe, like they're all kind, they're kind of in Phrygia. Do you know why they thought why? the Phrygians were old? Why? Because, I guess. Yes. yes, it's all about Gaius. Yeah, he told them, so oh, wait, this place is really old. Oh, you're right. He probably is the one who told them that. Yeah, it's like, we've been around for 10,000 years at least. Yeah. I promise you. I mean, of course, we know everybody came out of Africa, so they must have stopped at Egypt first. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's been a lot of work done in the last few years with DNA to track the human exodus from Africa. It's mm -hmm. super interesting. But, yeah. Uh, it's Have you done it? Uh, no, I haven't. But, I did it uh, years ago. Oh. Was, boy, I, know. I, should do, I did the, the National Geographic. Okay. They, they did like a, you pay for it, but they were trying to do a study and they did, you know, track out of Africa. So it tells me where I came out of Africa and all that. <laughs> okay, back to the 650s. Um, yeah, back Americas. to the 650s. Yeah, so that's the, the, the this this um, experiment was tried by other rulers later in history, and there's one the best known is Emperor Frederick II, 
from 1194 to 1250, and all the children died from not talking to them. That's Barbarossa, right? Yeah. The guy who oh, is died that in, I... on Crusade. Okay, yeah, you're right. He was like the biggest warrior king of Europe, and he was like, I'm going to go on a crusade. It's going to be great. And then he fell into a river and died on the way <laughs> to the crusade. So it was, it was a big disappointment. Apparently. Maybe, Maybe the children were waiting for him. I couldn't do this children experiment. So Samericus also searched for the source of the Nile, right? Oh yeah, he did. He did search for the for the source of the Nile. He um, they 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 thought that the they didn't think it was the way we think of it coming from a mountain or something. They thought there was a fountain or a spring underwater. Would that they be thought great? Of, yeah. So where where would the water come from for this enormous spring for this giant river? They went to a place where they, you know it was rumored that it came from and it was very deep and they brought they they dropped an anchor they dropped a really deep you know rope with some stuff on it and they didn't you know they weren't sure or anything that that was it I don't know how dropping that would tell them I guess maybe they thought it was a big hole to the center of the world I'm just happy they didn't use children to put it yeah. I know, right? Let's go swim down there and see. Uh, wow. So, yeah, so he was kind of a scientist, you know? He was sort of trying to do his thing. Well, like Mengele, but... Poor... Um, I, I wish he had come after the... Um, after... Oh, sorry, my head just... After Aristotle, so he could get some some scientific principles. Yeah. True that. So... That's all I got on Semeticus right now. But he's going to be around for a while. Oh, good. Maybe we'll get some yeah. more crazy experiments. Yeah, yeah. And we know that his um his offspring, you know, they do that circumvent Africa deal. Oh. Yeah, because that's Neko II. I think that's his son or his grandson. It's either Semeticus' son or grandson, or it could be Semeticus II. It's, but it's definitely this line of pharaohs, this, this family. Yeah, so they're definitely, you know, this is this... I think the introduction of the Greeks to Egypt introduced them to some more, you know, scientific type of thing. He's from the Delta, you know. And he has almost no no real recollection of what Egyptian pharaohs do because there have been no Egyptian pharaohs for so long. Right. That's amazing to think about how history could change, you know, like there's these traditions for a thousand years and then you get a hundred and some year bump in between and then just the memory's different and then sort of this starts anew. Yeah, this bump is like 350 years since the okay, last well, Egyptian oh. dynasty was on the throne. That's a long time. That's longer than the United States has been a country. Yeah. So, um, so in the, doing the research and so a thing came up that it said 655 BC, the wall of Asher was rebuilt. Yeah, I think but, that's typical Ashurbanipal uh, Assyrian king behavior that uh, let's uh, rebuild something. The wall of Asher, that's important. So he rebuilt that and put his stamp all over it and said, I made this wall new. <laughs> I made this wall great again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's good that they did. You would think. And we'll find out later, but I mean, the Assyrians, they're not used to getting attacked. So, they... It's been you know, a long time their... since anybody besieged Asher, but right. uh, it will happen. Yeah, like everybody. I think we could squeeze one more in this episode, one more event. Okay. Which is the uh, a colony in Thrace called Abdera was founded. 
with the traditional date being 654 BC, oh. a Greek colony. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Founded by colonists from Klazomene, which was, this is an Ionian Greek city. And today it is the town of Erla in modern day Turkey. So I was able to do my little deal where I could find out how far it was. So if you went, you could go overland. It's about 400 miles, 649 kilometers or 403 miles on an overland route. But it's definitely a sea route. And so today it would take you about um, eight hours, eight and a half hours by car. So by ship, it's about the same distance, 400 miles by sea. So, I mean, even if you can only go 25 miles a day, it would probably take about 16 days to get there. Not real far. Um, it's in Thrace, which is in the most hospitable place. You know, there's tribes and people there. So it didn't really last long. But the Phoenicians apparently had a settlement there before the 650s. And the they says that the the town long maintained Phoenician standards in its coinage. Um, I think the Phoenician co- colonies were very different from the Greeks. Yeah, they must have been. They were mostly trading stations, sort of like yeah. the Portuguese when they in the 15th century or the 16th century they just set up trade bases and don't really intend to sort of conquer the land but just yeah. do trading so that, you know, that would be like the Portuguese would be like the Phoenicians and the Greeks would be kind of like the British hmm. something like that Yeah. or the Spanish yeah the Spanish settled too true so according to Herodotus, the, the leader of this colony was a guy named Timesios, Timesios. But within one generation, the Thracians had expelled the colonists. Um, the Plutarch says that Timesios became too much to bear for his colonists because of his desire to do everything by himself. So apparently he was like a micromanager. And one of the children, the next generation of the colonists, let him know how they felt. He quit in disgust. So we had a, a working Phoenician colony there at some point. They were mm-hmm. fine with the Thracians trading and stuff. And then this guy comes along, set up a Greek colony. Then he rage quits, and <laughs> leaves his colony. And the Thracians are like, hey, we're fed up with those guys. Let's drive yeah. them into the sea. Yeah, and maybe do some human sacrifices or something. I think the Thracians are pretty used to these people along their coast. Yeah. So I think that should I think that'll cover us for this episode. We still got a lot in the six fifties though. Yeah, let's do more episodes. Let's do it because we're coming up to the biggest event of the six fifties is coming. I promise. Oh, now you got me excited. What yeah. is it? I can't tell you. You have to tune in next time. No. <laughs> Speak to you next time. Okay. Bye, Dan. Bye, bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.